0: Friends
1: with the founder of the Lubbock County Militia, you get your own radio show. It's the other side of Texas with Jay Lisa. If you haven't climbed up to Enchanted Rock, Cold well, hey there! I
2: told you. you! I or started the program yesterday. I said, I told you. I knew it. There would be a response wherever you are listening. We appreciate you coming in and hanging out on the other side of Texas and telling people that you hang out on the other side of Texas. The most talked about afternoon radio show in all of West Texas. I'm Jay Leeson, taking you along over the course of this hour so here it comes i i I didn't know i knew that it would come i didn't know who it would come from but the response to the vet school piece which i thought was pretty down the line but i could be jaded a little bit writing out of a not so much a red and black vein as much as a prairie populism vein that we've got some needs up here that aren't being met, and that being through large animal vets. So, a little bit sympathetic on the Texas tech side of that equation, but it, then it came. Okay, I don't know how necessary that is, but in his first engagement publicly, most thorough to date, AM Chancellor John Sharp emerges. Dallas Morning News. This is online now. Will be in print tomorrow, there in the Metroplex and beyond. Chancellor John Sharp writes, AM, Texas AM Chancellor John Sharp. If you need context, you can go to our podcast, listen to yesterday's program, or a whole lot of things I've written and said over the past couple of months. <clears throat> Let me begin. Texas does not need another veterinarian school to train rural veterinarians. Texas needs to find a way for more rural veterinarians to make a living. In a column on Wednesday, Jane Leeson, a radio talk show host and columnist in Lubbock, perpetuated a false narrative, cherry-picking facts to champion the idea taxpayers should pay for a Texas Tech University veterinarian school. Now, what I've written before is that a and reaction here to everything that's happened down at 4th and University in Lubbock is gonna be to make a taxpayer argument that operations for a vet, it's one thing to raise 90 million, And in this part of the world a heck of a thing to raise 90 million by the way your thoughts as we go along 806 745 5800 you can text those in 806 745 5800 but in I said that they are going to make a tech can raise their 90 million to build okay but then it comes down to legislature dollars to fund the operations of, and that's where Sharp begins the column. So, my predictions are 100% so far. Uh, Taxpayers, that I was perpetuating a false narrative, cherry-picking to champion the idea that taxpayers should pay for Texas Tech University's vet school. In 2016, the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board concluded that no veterinarian school was needed in Texas. Reenter, and I'm going to stop from correcting as we go along. Let's let the chancellor who has been given opportunity. I would love John Sharp to come. I'd give him two shows if he wanted to come on. <clears throat> in The Higher Education Coordinating Board concluded that no veterinary school was needed in Texas, reiterating its 2009 findings. The board added it would look at innovative approaches that did not duplicate Texas A&M's efforts to address a, quote, pending shortage of large animal veterinarians. That's it. The study suggested three possible ways to address the issue, but tech proponents ignored cheaper suggestions such as student loan forgiveness programs for rural vets that more address that more directly that are more address how's he, such as student loan forgiveness programs for rural vets that more directly addressed any pending shortage any pin- there is a pending short there is a shortage period that's it period those pushing for texas tech to gain funding to build a new oh the funding's done i said i wouldn't interrupt but here i am engaging it a new veterinarian school also ignored what a&m has done since 2009 to address the needs of our state's agricultural economy the implication that anything Texas A&M is doing on the veterinary I'm just I'm grinning to myself well he, he alternates between using A&M and Texas A&M uh, anything Texas A&M is doing on the veterinary front is in response to Texas Tech's announcement in 2015 that it wanted to create its own veterinarian school is misguided now I laid out a chronology I'm not interested so much in look. Process has its facts, but I'm interested in the political game, and I stand by what I wrote. It is John Sharp reacting to Bob Duncan, and and I know that neither one of those gentlemen like me to put it in those terms, but these institutions are run by Texas political pros, and that's what Regents go out and look for at each university. And so far as process Duncan has proven his prowess that you know I've talked with I talked somebody yesterday after the show called and said you know I tell you what I really disagreed with some things that Bob Duncan did in the legislature but I never disagreed that he could get it done anyway that's when I'm since 2015 I think it's disingenuous for Sharp to say that he's not been reacting to Duncan. The fact is, Sharp continues, our regional plan had been in works for years. In 2010, West Texas A&M had submitted to the Legislative Budget Board an appropriations request to enable West Texas A&M in collaboration with Texas A&M to prepare students to practice in veterinary medicine with specialization in large animals. It wasn't funded, but the request is a public document with the Legislative Budget Board, if anyone cares to look it up. So, riddle me this. How many, how many West Texas A&M veterinarian undergrads got into Texas A&M preceding last year? I mean, we're talking about chronologies and timelines, That's my first question to the chancellor. And I know the answer to the question, but I want to hear him answer the question. If he's arguing that there's a fuller context to the timeline, then let's talk about political expedience. And sure, I know they opened their new vet school in 2016, their new veterinarian complex down there at the mothership in College Station. But how many before proceeding, if there was this intense interest in large animals and meeting a quote unquote pending need my understanding is that nine undergraduates from West Texas A&M were accepted last year into A&M's DVM program nine how many preceding I think that you could go quite a few years to get an accumulation of nine but political pretense being what it is there were nine accepted last year is what i'm told here are the facts behind texas ms plan for veterinarian education in 2009 when the coordinating board studies said uh first said that there was no need for a new veterinary school it was also a- it also asked texas m to expand its efforts asked recommended I think recommended being the right word recommended being a, uh, a word with a double entendre and we'll get into double entendres here in just a minute uh, do this or you're going to have some problems national creditors, however told us we could not expand without new buildings in 2011 we asked the legislature for 115 million dollars for the veterinary education building but no higher education facilities were approved when we spent 125 million out of the permanent university fund the puff fund money to build the -the state-of-the-art facility in college station it was recently finished if needed we could increase the size the vet school by hundreds of students in 2015 a food animal track was added at the vet school in addition to our long existing large animal specialty they've been you've been singing about bevo and not treating bevo for i don't know how long and i tried in my column i didn't get into a whole lot of red and black versus a and a maroon and white uh getting terse but I, i'm on the radio now so i can in <coughs> in january 2016 texas a&m unveiled its plan <coughs> to expand expand its veterinarian efforts to four a&m system universities including west texas a&m and canyon just south of Amarillo. and it is succeeding but again the question what about prairie view and what about Kingsville and what about Tarleton State has there been 90 million dollars poured into any of those we've been planning Texas A&M's veterinary outreach to regional schools for several years in 2015 we talked to Texas Tech about it Tech Chancellor Bob Duncan asked me to make Tech one of the schools but since West Texas A&M was only a short distance away from Tech it was not cost effective I've heard the complete opposite of that story but that's his story and I'll skip down to the bottom. Our mission at the University of Texas A&M system is to do what the coordinating board and legislature expects of the finest veterinarians, one of the finest veterinarian schools on the face of the planet. Is that how he says it? I just looked away for just a moment. Uh, RG Ratcliffe again about about to join us. One of the finest veterinary schools on earth and that's exactly what we are doing and then he ends in with this if there is some kind of rivalry between tech and a m somebody forgot to tell us and there you go so appreciate the fine gentlemen john sharp for finally coming out of the fog giving us his perspective rg ratcliffe texas monthly about to give you his perspective on what's going on in the governor's race and does loopy valdez have a shot see what uh, rg has to say he is texas politics guru at texas monthly is rg ratcliffe rg thanks for hanging in over the break with us there well sure sure glad to be here are you on a deadline of any kind
0: uh only to go home and eat dinner
2: okay (laughs) got it uh so rg here's in the next segment i'm so sick of the hyper partisanship and the hyper ideological atmosphere Uh, it feels like things are really about to combust around us and uh we're going to spend the next half hour listeners by the way we're going to listen to and read some theodore roosevelt running the progressive party some some perspective for a hundred years later but for now i want to get into in touch on texas politics and we saw some polls come out the university of texas texas tribune the beto o'rourke ted cruz race is tight paxton up by one but the one race where there was double digits was the governor's race and I want to talk with you. For listeners who may not know, uh, Loopy, we're, we're broadcasting for some pretty red territory, RG. Yeah, I understand. Uh, Lupe Valdez, former Dallas County Sheriff, is running for governor as a Democrat against uh, incumbent Greg Abbott. Tell us a little bit about Valdez, and I'll ask you the question that you pose in the title on the piece at Texas Monthly. Just how doomed is Lupe Valdez here?
0: Oh, it's just, you know, uh, it's, it just doesn't look very good at all. Uh, I mean, the, you know, you first, you have your, your almost 25 year history of Democrats losing in the state. So you have a a Republican advantage to start with. And then, um, she's frankly just not a very good candidate. Um, she, she, a lot of candidates start off not really knowing a lot about uh, the government position they're running for but as soon as they stumble they start saying hey I've got to learn something here and we never saw any evidence that Lupe Valdez was willing to uh, learn really anything about state government or what the government does um she was mostly running on kind of the the broad brush issues and ethnicity uh... and plus the uh, fact that she's uh... uh, uh involved in a same sex relationship, so you know you have a real case of identity politics here, which it means that she's going to have trouble getting across party lines to uh to moderates or independents and you know dis- disaffected republicans but she in this race she had trouble getting uh, in the primary she had trouble in runoff she had trouble getting hold of uh hispanic candidates um in uh Hidalgo County she didn't which is right on the border with Mexico um there was like a 10,000 vote drop-off between the US Senate race and the race for County Judge so of no, people who did not even vote in the Democratic primary and then of the, whoa, 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 of the so
2: people went in and voted But they just left the governor's race alone on the Democratic side. Wow. They just
0: skipped the governor's race. And then there was something like 20,000 Hispanic surnamed voters in Hidalgo County who cast ballots. And she only got about half of them
2: to vote for. You talked to a South Texas Democrat in this piece who said that the Hispanic... And look, I feel like there's no group about which we speculate more. Like, well, the Democrats, the Hispanics will eventually wind up being this voting block. And I've really tried to stay away from that. But what this South Texas Democrat, uh, a Hispanic South Texas Democrat, told you was that people, the Hispanics mainline, and I'm paraphrasing, so correct me if yeah. I'm wrong, but they will not get behind a lesbian Hispanic candidate. At least not not one that touts it as much mm.
0: as as she was doing. He but said, it, it well, also, We're they, not they, blind. They're not blind." Well, that that was a reference to the fact that she didn't know what she was talking.
2: about. Oh, okay, all right.
0: <laughs> but but they were they you know they were uh, definitely turned off by the fact that you know she was she's a lesbian and um, that they just would weren't going to vote for her, uh, hmm. particularly his, uh, his his Hispanic men. So.
2: Yeah. You tell the story about Laredo oilman Tony Sanchez uh, invested $60 million of his own money in 2002 in the Democratic race for governor and lost by 18 points. Right. Uh, in the 2016 presidential election, though Latino turnout increased by more than 375,000 ballots, non Hispanic whites cast 50% of the votes overwhelmingly for trump according to network exit polls and that's what a lot of people expected right was that that the hispanic turnout given the car and i'll call them i voted for trump both times but i'm perfectly Mm -hmm. willing to say that they were caustic and ill advised but they didn't they didn't show up for that
0: yeah well it's you know the thing about it is it's like uh you know one of the things that happens is there's an uh, people just look at how big the Hispanic population is here and it's the number or the percentage of adults who are US citizens used to be about a third of the uh, Hispanic adult population were not US citizens now that number is shrinking as every year goes by and I don't know what it is right now but the other thing is that it's a very young population and so I don't care whether they're Hispanic or black or white uh or Anglo um they young people just don't vote and um and you know people tend to vote start voting when they have uh own a house that's like the number one cause of voting and uh, have children and you know things where they're really kind of invested in what the outcome of government is, and so here you have you know probably the the average age of uh, a Hispanic in Texas is 21 or 22 right now, and so they all so that means you know a really large bulk of your voting population falls into that we're young we don't vote category.
2: Hmm. Rg Ratcliffe, you can read them there at Texas Monthly. .com new uh a new look to texasmonthly.com by the way.
0: We did. We uh we had a uh, makeover a couple of months ago mm-hmm. and uh so I'm even still getting used to it.
2: Hey, so here's my deal. Wendy Davis, Greg Abbott, what was that? The 20 point race. Something like that. Yeah. I, does does Loopy Valdez get beyond 25 points?
0: You know, I will say this.
2: I, I mean, want to say the Democrats think. Does she lose seventy-five twenty-five? That's my question.
0: Well, it's real possible. It's, it is very well. I don't actually. I don't think that's possible. I think she'll she would end up at the very least somewhere in the low to mid thirties. But uh, because that's just essentially the Democratic base. I mean, all the Democrats who vote will vote for her, and yeah, or uh, at least most of them will, and. Um, so she should end up somewhere between thirty-three and thirty-six, worst-case scenario. Yeah. Um, but you know, the big question is when you look at the fact that people skipped the governor's race um, in the uh, in the primary in Hidalgo County and some of the other South Texas counties. Does she become a stopper on the ballot for mm. Democrats? Because yeah. you have Beto O'Rourke will be the the number one. Democratic at the top of the ticket running against Ted Cruz mm-hmm. and then you'll have whoever your local congressperson is and right after that you will have governor well if you know if a voter says well huh, I'm not voting in this race you know I you know there's a quite a few people out there who can't stand Greg Abbott but they're not going to vote for Lupe Valdez under yeah. any circumstances so do they do they vote for Abbott and then just kind of continue on the Republican side going down the ballot, or do they get to the governor's race and say, "That's it, I'm done. I only cared about uh, the U.S. Senate race," and, that's and so- you know, ahead, and that sorry. sends a message to Trump one way or the other. I mean, you love Trump, you vote for Ted Cruz; you hate Trump, you vote for Beto. Um, exactly. And so, I'm just
2: imagining what Trump's Twitter timeline will look like if he decides to take up Lupe Valdez. I mean... (laughs) Those those 5 a.m. tweets are going to be on fire. You know, if
0: Trump goes after her, that might be the best thing that happens in her campaign.
2: Uh, That's a good point. Uh, But... Well, and, and look, so I was talking with somebody yesterday, and somebody's really connected and really involved on the hill and in texas and and said to me i like it i like it when cruz has some fear and Mm -hmm. i like it whenever you know more moderated people who like it whenever they feel some fear that hey maybe i should put up the child separation bill and put a stop to this which you know arguably cruz would not have done and you know Mike Collier to go to another point Mike Collier was sitting right here across from me on this show in studio and I pushed him on it and he knew what I was doing but this was before the Democratic runoff and Mm -hmm. I said you have to be hoping that Andrew White beats Lupe Valdez because you don't want your wagon hitched to that thing and he danced around it but and I'm just so surprised that after all that, kind of in the vein of what that guy was saying to me yesterday, R.G., about it like the they like them smelling fear. Um, I'm I'm so surprised that Beto O'Rourke and and people like Mike Collier didn't come out for Andrew White because that race wound up between White and Valdez wound up being how many points? Oh, I
0: it was. I think he maybe got 35 percent of the vote, and she was like. You know, sixty something.
2: Well, I well, I think I remember it being a lot closer, but still, the point being, they should have just sent signals to people that hey, this is uh, we don't want our wagons hitched here because just what you said, a stoppage factor on the ballot.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know, I was talking to someone earlier today who was lamenting uh, White's loss, and I I think you know the the problem uh, at the convention last week. Beto was you know really embracing. Uh, Valdez and telling everyone to vote for her and and I think and I think Collier realizes they all kind of live and die together um, you know it's just kind of one of those things in politics where most of the time it's just bad politics to get involved in somebody else's race uh, I mean look at Greg Abbott and Sarah Davis I mean he you know he put his personal prestige and his money Uh, behind defeating her and she won so he comes across looking like a jerk Um, and uh, you know that's not going to help his relations with the legislature um, because you know I mean he can still veto bills and that's still a power he has but when he goes to the legislature next year and says you know you better do this or else they'll say or else what same thing you did to Sarah Davis so um You know, there's a lot of reasons not to get involved in that. I mean, and also remember how badly uh, Andrew White got shredded over the abortion issue, you know, where he said, I I believe in a woman's right to choose, but I'm personally against abortion, and suddenly he failed the purity test. So do you fail the purity test by extension? Yeah, you know,
2: by and even even her arguments, I, I've never seen an argument. I, I've heard my kids make excuses for things that they've done, and mm-hmm. even I remember some excuses for things that I've done. But I've never heard a justification built like Loopy Valdez made across the table from Andrew White, where she said, "Because you believe that personally, it's an affront to women." Even though he said, "I believe this personally," but publicly, in office. I would respect constitutional guarantees, and mm-hmm. the way that she made that—oh, that's offensive to women. Like, okay, offensive to some women. It's just incredible. Uh, well, you got to remember,
0: they uh, the the women's march in Washington kicked out a, uh, a uh, anti-abortion women's group that was going to be part of the march but
2: that's my point though rg is that's washington right everybody tries Mm -hmm. to extrapolate like all these different races that we'll see in the months to come this is texas this is not washington therefore that this happened therefore here and that's just not the way things work but uh tell us people can sign up weekly dispatches from the middle of the road at the armadillo there at uh, Texas right. Monthly. What are you writing on now? What you working on?
0: Um, I'm actually I'm finishing up a story for the uh, kind of a, a, a wrap on the uh, wrap-up piece on the two party conventions and what it might mean for the fall for the next issue. So I'm not really working on anything for the uh, for the website at the moment. So. No, just the print. Just the print. The just National the print. magazine, you know that, Texas. that's that's the uh, that's kind of the the where where we like to uh to send things
2: yeah well i'll tell people if you want one of the most fascinating seats in texas politics go sit in a chair outside the rails beside rg ratcliffe and he'll just kind of murmur to you about what's going on what he expects to happen that's the best seat in the house um well thank you uh i don't uh, let me just ask you about this off the cuff Okay. Ross comes Ross Ramsey comes on the show every week. I throw him a curveball. Yeah. I was a little bit surprised today. I wrote about my understanding of what's going on with the Texas Tech vet school and U T vet school and I'm not gonna ask you about the details of that. But okay. it, Texas Tech has this initiative, ninety million dollars they've raised to build build this vet school in the panhandle now they need to go after operational funding i wrote a chronology of what's happened the back and forth politics i kind of framed it as texas higher ed hold'em uh here in the panhandle and uh put that up in a paper statewide and today john sharp responded so my question is about john sharp i mean he himself responded in the byline is that (laughs) is that typical of sharp like you've studied him for decades now is it typical of sharp just to because most people would say hey i need a guy get me a guy who can go out and respond to this but sharp does it directly uh himself he's pretty thin-skinned
0: that's been my experience with him is and that he will do it himself, you know, because he just doesn't trust someone else to do it as good as he could do it. Hmm. Um, I, you should throw that question at at Ross, because you know Ross used to work for Sharp. Yeah.
2: And yeah. Uh, maybe I will. I just I was talking in the last segment about it. You'll get a kick out of this. I don't I don't know if you've read it yet or not, but he goes through. You know he said that I was a cherry picker, and that's fine, yeah, you know a selective uh, it was selective in what I pointed out, but it's this last paragraph, if there is some kind of rivalry between tech and a and m somebody forgot to tell us, so a double entendre right I mean, it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a rivalry. We want what's best for the state. But then it's that old Aggie line we heard for years in the Southwest Conference. Oh, you guys think that we're rivals? Uh, no, we aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Some yeah, chart. well, just
0: next time you have Ross on the show, ask him if Wiccans are a religion that are due, uh, they should have a tax exemption.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. Uh,
0: <laughs> he'll probably
2: melt down on you. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he's going to, I throw him curveballs. I don't think he'll appreciate that curveball, though. Uh, uh, R.G. Ratcliffe, and uh, follow you at R.G. Ratcliffe, right, on Twitter? Right. Is that it directly? I know I hate yeah. you a lot. I just type in R.G. and you pop up. R.G. Ratcliffe there, Texas Monthly. Hey, thanks for making time, man. Appreciate you. Sure, and
0: have yourself a good weekend.
2: Yeah, you as well. R.G. Okay. Ratcliffe, ladies and gentlemen. The man, the myth, the legend, right here on other side of Texas. Hey, it's uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Thursday, here on other side of Texas. Going to get in with. Uh, we're just going to read some speeches. Look, I'm going to set it up in the next segment. I'm tired of all I'm hearing. And Theodore Roosevelt ran against both parties and uh, as a progressive candidate in 1912. I want to hear his speeches. Maybe it'll bring us to a place of of understanding so we can all get along here. You know, I see all this acrimony today. The USA Today released a poll that said a third, almost a third of Americans think that we're entering the next civil war, the second civil war, as it were, and that is just incredible. It's incredible for me to see and to read things like that but you know look here's the deal we were in colorado and the pines have had a 500 year event in which there's been a beetle that's gone through on steep mountainsides and the mountains in general and killed out pines and apparently biologists say this happens every 500 years well guess what happens in colorado a lot i was out on a pontoon boat happened to us twice while we were out on the pontoon boat a a storm will just come all of a sudden and there's lightning and thunder and it's just as as a seasoned west texan even i'm a little a little wigged out by the weather because it changes so quickly and i thought i knew something about weather changing quickly and when in all that of storm event comes the lightning and you've got a tinder box on the sides of mountains where lightning strikes and there's a fire and while we were there there were big durango fires they're in stage two now you can't even have a grill outside uh, with fire in it and in i think about that in terms of people get this political beetle right they get this beetle and it gets inside of them and gnaws them out so that they're not able to to see that the person who is speaking even though they and i'll just use an extreme even though they may be hide the kids' ears three two one even though they may be wearing hats that are made up like parts of the female anatomy and it's i mean that you just look at that and you think oh that's crazy but here's even though it is crazy you have to keep in mind that this is a person this is not a thing this is not a thing to be annihilated this is a thing to be politically defeated but not annihilated and i think that the language is and the atmosphere has been charged with so much ideological fever at this point fervor i should say that things may come i could see a scenario wherein this summer with everything else with the midterms coming up in november and those races heating up anthony kennedy stepping down justice anthony kennedy stepping down from the supreme court a an economic conservative vote by and large it would come down the line but whenever it came to social issues Kennedy would go left and i think i read today that over his 30 year career he may he was the swing vote 21 times especially in issues related to social issues and so i could see the case where this summer things could really rev up and people could begin to think that you know this is the and this is from a from a washington post uh column i read today but this may very well be the most significant political or uh, jurisprudence change in jurisprudence since bush v gore and i think that we all remember those glory days and how nice and hospitable and kind we were to one another to uh up to back to roe v wade and that's what we've got in front of us this summer and i think that it's going to be a charged atmosphere talked about that yesterday with congressman errington and you know those confirmations in the the upper chamber are going to be tense and it's going to be i mean you could almost have what we had in the texas legislature a couple of decades ago people just walking out of of those hearings and not showing up to confirm i mean maybe there is a quorum there's not i don't know the u.s senate's rules but i do think that it can be tinderbox dry that the political beetle has grabbed enough people and I just want to say that's why I like to focus on regional issues because it forces us not to use it's almost like a county road where the road is so grooved from the tires and the county's not come out to grade it for some time because of unfunded mandates or whatever it might be but people just get in those grooves on the left and the right and it just becomes this big chatter box and nothing's ever fixed nothing's ever decided and people just grow more hostile towards one another and they're just stuck in the ruts and that's what we're going to have this summer and i think that there is the case that you will begin to see violence because people will stop looking whatever the other hat is people will stop looking at people as people as respective uh beneficiaries of this u.s constitution and will begin to think in terms of left and right and and things in places instead of people and, and human dignity and i think that we could see violence and that is absolutely from both sides i am not exonerating one side and taking up for the other so for that i wanted to make sure that we did a segment today on some old theodore roosevelt speeches speeches that he gave in 1912 and speeches as a part of what he launched his helped launches the progressive party the bull moose party And I think that those will be very helpful. I want to get into those in a couple of texts here in just a moment. But first, we're going to go, in terms of free market economy, go make a little bit of money. Stick with us right here. We'll get into some Theodore Roosevelt. Perfectly applicable 100 years later, right here on the other side of Texas. (laughs)
1: Color bill here for 20 years west texas accessory depot has been lubbock's place for toolboxes grill guards power inverters and everything i need to make my rig work for me and now accessory depot is a licensed stanley black and decker wholesaler so i can get my dewalt porter cable and proto work tools with ad's great customer service at cheaper prices than the box stores they're a one-stop shop for a full truck outfit From toolbox to tool out. Give West Texas Accessory Depot a call today at 806-866-9494. That's 806-866-9494. Or go see them at 7405-82nd, just west of Valencia, or at WTAccessoryDepot.com. That's WTAccessoryDepot.com.
0: Speed Queen washers and dryers are built to last longer than any other brand in the market. Designed to last 25 years in your home. So it's only fitting that they're also backed by the industry's longest-lasting warranty, a warranty that's five times longer than the competition. And unlike anyone else, our warranty covers parts and in-home labor. You heard that right, parts and labor, covered. Get your speed queen and our industry-leading warranty at Brand Source Radio Lab, located at 4902 50th Street.
1: Smile, it's gonna be okay. Jason White Dentistry, the West Texas way smile at a time that's how it's done we treat you like you're the only one your peace of mind is our state of mind we want to get to know you and smile at a time smile it's gonna be okay jason white dentistry the west texas way but of all the little towns in west texas
0: you ride
1: it out through the dust and drought till you live in a prairie
2: town. Hey, welcome back in broadcasting from the studios where Buddy Holly became famous right here in the rural metropolis, the grandest prairie town of them all Lubbock, Texas. This segment brought to you by our friends at Lubbock File Room. Don't let those criminals and and all of your opponents in business your friends yet your opponents get your hand get their hands on your documents trade secrets man and uh some hr stuff you don't want other people getting their hands on for secure document storage and shredding services to lubbock and the surrounding area since 1992 incidentally the same year that west texas a&m was brought into the universe uh Texas A&M University System for a free and hassle-free estimate call LubbockFileRoom.com at 806-744-7666 806-744 7666 uh, a little back to the sharp uh John Sharp responding in the Dallas Morning News I do have this update I think that it would qualify as an update. I think that you might think it will, too. Uh, This update from the other side of Texas newsroom. Um, The image used in the Dallas Morning News piece is uh, actually uh, the cows in the picture are also photoed with a Red Raider graduate so some little background there appreciate people doing some investigative background here on on the program always have our friends out in the field ready to break break the news that we needed broken here on the show so let's stop it with that okay so the trust busting and regulation was something that theodore roosevelt was was pretty adamant about in his presidency and in 1912 afterwards he tried to run uh, with the progressive party he was forced out people didn't think that he was conservative enough raise your hand if somebody said that about you he he's been in your shoes theodore roosevelt so 1890, the Sherman antitrust act and Roosevelt went after the underbelly in America, what he thought was the underbelly. And I think plenty of us have seen it now. And I'll just stay. I'll say that I had our folks at a Texas said, Hey, I want you to find me some, some Theodore Roosevelt audio. And this is how ignorant I am. They were like, well, there's not really audio. And I said, sure there is there. There, there's stuff of, you know, there's the crosses of gold speech, William Jennings, Brian, there's lots of stuff. They're like, no, the only thing that we could find sounds like this. Sounds like, you got that?
1: Political bodies exist to secure responsible government and to execute the will of the people. From these great tasks, over the old bodies have ganged aside. Instead of instruments to promote the general welfare, they have become the tools of corrupt interests which use them impartially to serve their selfish purposes. Behind the ostensible government okay, so fixed so and thrown an invisible You can government.
2: tell why oh, I listened know to know that it. and was like, I don't think people want to listen to that in 2018 on the radio. So instead, I want to read for you a couple of speeches and just let them resonate inside. You ready this uh this speech it comes from a 1912 speech in chicago uh, at the convention of the progressive party in chicago august 1912 and it's part of a confession of faith is what it was termed section within theodore roosevelt I wish I could do a good Roosevelt, but I'm not going to try. Political parties exist to secure responsible government and to execute the will of the people. From these great staffs, both of the old parties have gained a side. Instead of instruments to promote the general welfare, they have become the tools of corrupt interest, which use them in marshalling to serve and there's a word that we can't find on audio Uh, nobody can figure out exactly what he said to serve their selfish purposes behind the ostensible government sits enthroned an invisible government owing no allegiance and acknowledging no responsibility to the people To destroy this invisible government, to befoul the unholy alliance between corrupt business and corrupt politics, is the first task of the statesmanship of the day. Unhampered by tradition, uncorrupted by power, undismayed by the magnitude of the task, the new party offers itself as the instrument of the people to sweep away the old abuses, to build a new and nobler government. This declaration is our covenant with the people, and we hereby bind the party and its candidates with pledges made there herein. With all my heart and soul, with every particle of high purpose within me, I pledge you my word to do everything I can to Uh, everything i can to put every particle of courage of common sense and strength that i have at your disposal and to endeavor so far as strength has given me to live up the obligations you have put upon me to endeavor to carry out in the interest of our whole people the policies to which you have some you have today solemnly dedicated yourselves in the names of millions of men and women for whom you speak now there's a name that we hear a lot pop up and it popped up with steve verrett yesterday uh, a couple of days ago executive vice president of plains cotton growers and i hear this a lot not just from people in ag communities but i hear it from people outside in other uh, other industries that really well serve west texas and it's mick mick mulvaney who serves and he does economic policy for the president now mulvaney is a guy and i've heard I, i'm gonna stop myself short there what so intrigued me about trump in the primary why i voted for him in the primary was that i saw him carry a populist message but he didn't talk about tax reform in the south he didn't talk about you know big business growth and trickle-down economics no he went in and said we're getting messed over in trade and he's carried through on some of those promises if congressman errington is correct and i feel like i've followed him closely enough to know that he wouldn't mislead us. Congressman Errington told us yesterday on this program and the audio is there on our podcast that he has been assured by the president that the administration will have the ag producers back and will help mitigate mitigate damages incurred by these trade wars wars. Now Mulvaney is the point here. What Trump ran against and what was lined up behind Ted Cruz in that 2016 primary was the Cato Institute. Was the Heritage Foundation that have pushed these arguments that all we need is further deconsolidation. All we need is just to expand free markets. And where has that gained us? It's gained us a lot of ground way down the road into globalism. And it's these parts of Texas that are losing in that battle. Now, I say all to say that read some Roosevelt and for people that want to go hardline in for Trump, you really need to begin to look at that economic policy and decide who does it benefit. Because I think that at the end of the day you're gonna say, well, not me and not people in my tax bracket, if you're if me And this is a big if if me is a middle upper middle-class guy and I think that that's that's a problem emerging with Trump gonna go a little bit over here because I want to get into uh, another Roosevelt so that we can follow up with how we build the program to go another part of the Roosevelt speech that you know interests collude behind big interest and people don't don't see that and i mean if you look at whatever political organizations you're a part of whether that be at the county level or that be freedom works or that be environmental work what is it environmental work whatever those people are on the left just look at where you're partaking and if and here's a great indicator by the way if you're being given a bunch of free stuff oh here's some koozies here's a generic uh here's a generic form of a yeti and it has your name on it and you're given all this stuff you gotta begin to ask yourself where did all this stuff come from who underwrote this and i think by and large it's people who want to tempt interests and exploit economic interests and i think roosevelt Felt the same this is where we're going to conclude our friend brandon darby will be on the show tomorrow we'll read another one more theodore roosevelt bleed this over to tomorrow and this is roosevelt there is no body of people whose interests are more inextricably wove interwoven with the interests of all the people than is the case with the farmers and he makes a case for uh farming program to be revived. Its abandonment was a severe blow to the interests of our people. The welfare of the farmer is a basic need of this nation. It is the men from the farm who in the past have taken the lead in every great movement within this nation whether in time of war or in peace. It is well to have our cities prosper but it is not well if they prosper at the expense of the country. And I've made that case over and over again. Urban folks and rural folks share a mutual fate. In this movement, the lead must be taken by farmers themselves, but our people as a whole, through their governmental agencies, should back the farmers. Everything possible should be done to better the economic condition. Of the farmer and also to increase the social value of the life of a farmer which admittedly was a lot less glamorous than it is now the farmers wife and their children and I'll skip down our aim is to control business he makes a case of for going after big business through the Sherman antitrust and other measures and you know the farmer the farmer he says something like along the lines of the farmer harvests a crop and the banks harvest the farmer so it was at that time with the railroads and the barons he says our aim is to control business not to strangle it and above all not to continue a policy of make-believe strangle towards big concerns that do evil and constant menace towards both big and little concerns that do well. Our aim is to promote prosperity and then to see the prosperity is passed around, that there is a proper division of prosperity. We wish to control big business so as to secure, among other good wages, the wage workers in reasonable prices for consumers we will not submit to the prosperity that is obtained by lowering the wages of working men and charging an excessive price to consumers nor to that other kind of prosperity obtained by swindling investors or getting unfair advantages over business rivals we propose to make it worthwhile for our business men To develop the most efficient business agencies but we propose to make these businesses agencies do complete justice to our people we are against crooked business big or little we are in favor of honest business big or little we propose we propose to penalize conduct and not size and that's a good word for today because this is where i want to close off one of the most monumental problems in the country today is dark money and where dark money is going and it happens on the left i've read plenty of stories about george soros going in and trying to win da races in texas and other places to a, to further forward soros's aims But it also comes from the right, and that's why I talk about Empowered Texans, and that's why I talk about the seedy things happening with Right to Life. Come at me, pro-life. I'm as pro-life as any dude ever. I will put your teeth on the curb and step on the back of your head and prove myself to be kind of pro-life if you want to come at me and tell me I'm not pro-life. But these organizations, these instruments... I'm going to stop short of what i want to say you can see it play out in the days to come but people who take these soapbox stands who are backed by these agencies and by these folks beware remember what theodore roosevelt told you 100 years ago that these interests compounding groups and their aims are absolutely destructive to american democracy and i think that that just to bring us full circle that leads us to where we are the country's in a tinder box people have lined their pockets and have gotten there from 2008 and the collapse and from other instances they have gotten their pockets lined and it's come at the cost of making i'll move away from the analogy of the beetle bug in the pines to just zombies just political ideological zombies and that's where we are now and i think it's incumbent upon us to take a lens upon these parties and not just the party. this is where i would differ from theodore roosevelt 100 years later but ideological groups who want you to buy in 100 percent And Start speaking about other people as though. They are less than look if you really believe this is why I don't get sanctimonious on this program If you really believe that God is the sovereign and that he is what he says he is and and what you believe in your pew then trust him to do that and Whatever faith tradition you come from so long as you're not a crazy who thinks that God just wants to destroy the world then just abide in that and then go out and read like tomorrow on the show or in the next couple of days. I want to read for you, Chris Hooks, who writes for the Texas Observer, with whom I have a lot of disagreement. But he's smart and he's got some points to make. And they challenge me to get sharper. And I just don't understand why people cannot listen to Rush Limbaugh's monologue and then go home and watch the PBS News Hour. And then you know be challenged a little bit because nobody is all right and that's when i got off on that thing about maxine waters the other day where god is on her side even abe lincoln didn't think that god was completely on his side uh, and i think the argument could be made he took up one of the most virtuous wars that's ever been fought so uh, there i am almost so i could go another hour but that's where we're going to leave it do yourself a favor get out some political devotionals by theodore roosevelt read those over and that's where we're going to leave this one more thoughts other side of texas.com follow us on twitter at ostx show i'm going to go home gonna get home above average dinner great family waiting for me and uh yeah that's that's just where i'm gonna leave it for this edition, appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate you. Appreciate what you heard here. Pass it to a friend. It's all free. There on Apple Podcasts. Till tomorrow, for R.G. Ratcliffe
0: control. and Master Chancellor Jane John Sharp of J. Leeson.